Well, we are, uh, we are continuing our sermon series. We're almost done, actually, uh, in our sermon series on the, the 12 minor prophets. This is week number 10, and it's actually my final week of preaching. Uh, next week will be Effie in Zechariah, and then, uh, and then two weeks from today is Jana in the book of Malachi. So this is, this is my last one, so uh, I've got, I got to get something good in here, I guess. But... Uh, uh, we're in the book of Haggai today, another unfamiliar one, one that we don't read very often, we don't quote very often, and, uh, and yet uh, it's, it's really, really great. Haggai is a little different. Some of these prophets have kind of been standalone. Uh, you know, you kind of just get, here's, here's this book, and it kind of holds all of the truth that you need to know about this book just within the confines of the one book. Haggai's a little different in that uh, he's a prophet that was really speaking into all of these other books. He shows up in, in uh, the books of Samuel. He shows up in Chronicles. He shows up, uh, there, there's some allusion to him in Isaiah. Uh, and most importantly, uh, he shows up in the book of Ezra. In fact, uh, in, in Ezra chapter 5, there's this one little verse where it basically says, Haggai showed up, said what he needed to say, and we listened. And then it just moves on. And you don't get, like, in, in Ezra, you don't get what Haggai said, but in Haggai, you get what Haggai said. So it's, it's kind of interesting. We, we kind of have to know some of the storyline of the rest of Scripture in order to understand the context of what Haggai is speaking into. So, uh, so let me take us there for a moment. There's, there's a bit of a timeline here, and we've been talking about it a little bit over the last couple weeks, but there's a, an historical timeline that, that, that's happening here. Uh, in, the, in, uh, in 587 B.C., uh, Babylon comes along and conquers Assyria. Assyria has been ruling. We've been talking about Assyria some. We've been mentioning Babylon from time to time. That turnover takes place in 587 BC. Babylon comes in. They're kind of ruthless. They, they sack Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. And they carry the Israelites off into exile. They, they carry them from Israel uh, over the Tigris, over the Euphrates, and into Babylon, which is kind of east of Eden. Uh, so, uh, so Babylon is in charge for about 48 years or so. In 539 B.C., uh, the Persians come along, and now they conquer Babylon. So they didn't rule for too long. The Persians come along, and now they're in charge. Uh, and they have a little bit better leadership. The Persians' first king is Cyrus. And Cyrus, uh, I don't know, no king is probably a good king, but he's at least better than the kings before. And Cyrus tells the Israelites, I want you to go back. You, you're done with exile. You can go back to your land. And I want you to rebuild the temple that got destroyed by the Babylonians. And in fact, as, as you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, we're even going to give you money to do so. We're even going to pay for, for it to happen. We're, we're going to tax our own people so that you can rebuild your own temple. And so they send them back, and that group is led by Ezra. Ezra goes with them to help them rebuild the temple uh, originally. And it seems like Haggai is part of that crew. So that's the timeline. There's also a bit of a storyline that's happening. So, so they get sent back to rebuild the temple and to kind of restart their life again. They got pulled out of their old life and they haven't been living the kind of life that they were accustomed to, the Jewish way of life. So they get, they get sent back to rebuild 
everything, the temple, but also to rebuild your ways of worship, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the land, rebuild your life. You're out of exile, and they're excited to return. Ezra is leading them back into their glory, and they're excited for this. They're excited to go. And we don't get the full story about what happens next, at least not uh, in, entirely in Ezra or in Haggai, but it appears that they kind of get lazy and greedy, uh, and they start to focus on themselves. They start to focus on their own homes, and they, they neglect God's home. And that's kind of where we pick up to the book of Haggai. Haggai emerges into the story uh, as a reminder. Essentially, he's the reminder prophet. Like, remember what you were supposed to do. Uh, you had one goal when you were sent back, and you've neglected that one thing that you were supposed to do. So, that's kind of where we're at. I I, I do want to mention, before we get too uh, far into the text, I I want to mention one other thing uh, that I think is important, and it's most especially important for my sermon this morning. There is a phrase that keeps reoccurring throughout the book of Haggai. It happens over and over again. Uh, and it's an important phrase, and, and I'm going to talk about uh, a few times that that's mentioned, but we probably could do an entire sermon series on this phrase because it keeps coming up over and over again throughout the book. Uh, and the phrase goes like this, This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. So it keeps coming up. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Now, a few comments about that phrase. Uh, now, first of all, that phrase, uh, I think, seems to be kind of a signal of significance. Every time that phrase shows up, something important or profound is about to happen in the text. It, it's, a, it's a bit of a trigger, a, a warning. It's this sign. In fact, uh, using the word sign, I was even thinking about baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. And I was thinking back to, to growing up playing baseball, and, and you'd have a third base coach, right? For those of you who don't know much about baseball, you have this coach uh, that's kind of giving signs in order to tell the rest of the players what to do. They're telling the, the batter whether they should bunt or swing away. They're telling the runners that are on base whether they should stay there or they should try to steal second. And, and they give all these crazy signs, right? You've probably seen it. You know what I'm talking about. Across the forehead, down the arms, nose, ear, across the bill of the cap. There's all these things. Most of those things are made up. They don't mean anything. And that's kind of the idea is it's supposed to be deceptive. Uh, You don't want the other team to know what your signs mean. Uh, You want to deceive them in some ways. And so what a coach will do then is that they'll have an indicator sign. They're doing a bunch of malarkey. They're doing all these things that don't matter, nose, chin, all these kind of things. But there's an indicator. So say the indicator is I'm going to run my fingers across the brim of my cap. And that's the indicator. Everything else has been made up. I'm just touching my, my face or my arms or whatever. But as soon as I do that, you know you've got to pay attention because the very next thing I do, that's the sign. So if stealing second is down your arm, if I go bring them in my hat and then down my arm, then, then you, all right, you're paying attention now. As soon as I do the indicator, you're paying attention. I think that's what's going on with this, this phrase in the book of Haggai. You see the phrase, pay attention. There's something, there's something, whatever's next is significant. Whatever's next, you you need to pay attention to, it's important. Second thing I'd say about this phrase uh, is simply that I love it. I I love this phrase. Uh, I think it's so good, especially the second part. Give careful thought to your ways. 
That's so good. Give, give careful thought to, to your ways. It's so deep and loaded. It's, it's really a prophetic phrase, which we shouldn't be surprised about. This is a prophet that's speaking, but, but that phrase is so prophetic. Uh, and it would have been for them, but I think it is for us as well, especially because that phrase, give careful thought to your ways, sounds a lot like a phrase that we use today. Uh, a phrase that is actually really prophetic for us today as well. I don't know if you've said anything like this, but I've sa- I say a phrase like this, something similar to this all the time. So, so the phrase in Haggai is, give careful thought to your ways. I think the phrase that we say is, think about what you're doing. Think about, right, and you've got to hear the inflection, right? Think, think about what you're doing. I, I, can't, I can't count the number of times I've said that to my kids, right? Hey, think, think about what you're doing. Uh, it, it, it's a phrase where we want people to pause and to ponder, to take stock of their life. Look around. Uh, pay attention to how you're living. Think about how your living actually affects others. Snap back into a better reality. Th- think, think about what you're doing. It's the same language as give careful thought to your ways. We just say it a little differently. Think, hey, Think about what you're doing. Pay attention. Take stock of what's happening around you. Now, third thing I would say about this phrase is that all of these repeated phrases are ultimately in response to the one main storyline of the book of Haggai. The one main indiscretion, the one main sin, the one main screw-up that Haggai is attempting to address. And this is what he says at the very beginning. Haggai 1 Uh, starting with verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, which is not true, right? That's the only thing you are sent back to Israel to do is to rebuild God's temple. That's not true. This is the time. The time has come. But here God is frustrated because his people are saying, Ah, we're going to put that off for another day. The time has not yet come for us to do that one main thing that we were sent back to do. Uh, and then God gets kind of snarky with them in verse 3. Then the, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, my temple, remains a ruin? So he gets sarcastic, which again, I appreciate. I appreciate some, some sarcasm for God. It's essentially, he's frustrated with them. You're saying you don't have the time to fix up my temple, and yet you've fixed up yours. You fixed up your own house. You took care of yourself. Why does my house still sit in ruins? Uh, t- uh, you get sent back to Israel to rebuild the temple, and you didn't. It's, it still sits here. Look, look at it. It's a dump. It's pathetic. Think about what you're doing. Think, think about what you're doing. This is the only thing you were sent back to do, and you haven't done it. You fixed up your own house, and mine's a dump. To make matters worse, while God's living in a dump, you are living high off the hog. You've neglected God's house, but certainly not your own. Look at your houses. They're awesome. They even have panels, right? which is a weird... That's such a weird... That's such a weird verse. Is it time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses? Which I I don't really entirely know what that means, but I think it's, 
I, I don't know, I think it's kind of funny. When I think about paneled houses, my mind instantly goes to like some sort of 1960s basement with shag carpet on the floor and that old fake wood like on the walls, right? You know it. Some of your houses have it. I, I know it. Uh, I know I'm making fun of some of your houses. But that's kind of where my mind goes, that paneled houses, that kind of sounds crappy. And yet, that's not the case. Uh, often that word for panel is used to describe a home with a great cedar roof. Just an an immaculate, amazing cedar roof. A home of luxury. And and it could mean that. Scholars aren't quite sure if that's what Haggai means here in this text. But regardless of what it means, it most certainly signifies the completion of a home. You don't put up paneling. That's That's a final detail, right? You don't put up final details until you've completed your home. So regardless, what we're talking about, what Haggai is frustrated about, what God is frustrated about, is that, man, you got to the very end of your construction project and you haven't even started mine. You got to the end of your own houses, thinking about your own stuff, and and God's house still still looks unstarted. It's still in rubble. It's still uh, in ruin. So Haggai is chastising them for finishing their own houses, which they did need to do at some point. They're coming back to a completely destroyed Jerusalem, but all the while they've just left God's house in ruins. So essentially the book of Haggai is 38 verses of God through the prophet saying, think about what you're doing. Think, Think about Think about what you're doing. I I let you go home to rebuild my house and to rekindle our relationship. We were going to start fresh. We were going to have this great relationship. But you have already lost the plot. You've already lost the main point. You've lost your first love. You've neglected your calling, which is really practical uh, language for them. But I think it is for us, too. we can lose the plot. We can lose the main thing that we are supposed to do and start focusing on ourselves instead. So let's, let's take a look at a couple of the times that Haggai uses this phrase, think about what you're doing, and see what kind of word God has for us this morning. So uh, the first time that we see this phrase uh, starts in verse 5, and, and I think you could call this the rebuke. This is where we... Haggai, Haggai rebukes them. Verse 5 of chapter 1. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about what you're doing. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Uh, you've, you've misplaced your priorities. You, you've lost the way. You've focused on yourself rather than focusing on God. You're, you're building great homes for yourself while God's house is a dump. You're running around trying to fulfill your own lives. You're taking care of your own needs. And he goes through this laundry list, right, in this section. You're doing all these things, planting and eating and drinking and clothing yourself and earning wages. You're doing all these things, running yourself ragged, trying to take care of yourself uh, while you're neglecting God. 
All, and all those efforts are wasted. They're not, they're not going to get you anywhere. I mean, look at this verse. All this stuff, all this stuff you're doing is in waste. It's wasted. You're planting more than you need, and you're not harvesting any actual sustenance. You're putting all these seeds in the ground, and yet nothing is coming up. You're eating, and probably even overeating, and yet you're never getting filled. You're consuming You're wanting to provide for yourself, and yet that's never going to meet your needs. You're drinking, maybe even in excess, and possibly even the wrong kinds of liquid, and yet your thirst is never quenched. None none of this stuff that you're chasing after is ever going to meet the kind of needs that you're looking for. You've got plenty in your closet, but none of your fancy fashion will ever stoke the fire of your soul or leave your heart strangely warmed. Uh, It's... It's not, it's not going to do what you're looking at for it to do. Your paychecks are just fine, but that money is burning through your pockets. You're spending it endlessly. You can't keep it for a second. And I'm sure that you've noticed that none of your purchases have filled that hole in your soul. Uh, and, and so they are chasing hard uh, after some sort of uh, gratification, and yet it's, it's wasted. It, it's useless. It's not doing any, anything for them. Uh, and man, how often do I do that? How often do I do all these things? I, I'm, I'm planting my own field. I'm trying to, I'm trying to raise my own crops. I'm, I'm eating but, but not satisfied. All these kind of things, metaphorically at least. I do these things all the time, running ragged, trying to take care of myself, caring about my own success, my own health, my own advancement, uh, instead of caring about God and God's way and God's will for my life. And Haggai is saying that that is a total waste. It won't get us anywhere. We're just squandering our time and our energy on those sorts of vain pursuits. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. And so that's the rebuke. That's that's the rebuke. Uh, And then he moves on to the second time that we see this phrase. And maybe you could call this the reminder. So we've got the rebuke and we've got the reminder. Uh, So this is uh, chapter 1, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about what you're doing. And then verse 8. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Uh, It's simple. The reminder is simple for us. It's one verse long. And essentially it's uh, keep building God's temple. What's the main thing? What's the main reminder? Keep building God's temple. And it was the reminder for the Israelites, and it's the reminder for us. We love to take care of ourselves first. I love to prioritize me, my status, my bank account, my security, my, my, my. I love to take care of my own needs, while God is saying that those are mixed up priorities. I want you to build my temple. I want you to build, I don't want you to keep building up your own, uh, your own castle, your own world, your own wealth. I, I want you to build my temple. So there's a number of ways for us to think about 
this kind of idea. There's a number of ways for us to think about God's temple today. There's, there's no temple that we're making pilgrimage to in, in Jerusalem or anything like that. So, uh, so scripture has helped us to think differently about God's temple. The first thing is that the New Testament is clear that we are God's temple. We are where God lives. If the temple is where God is present, then we are God's temple. So part of building God's temple, if that's a reminder for us this morning, is to stop building up your own lives, your own wealth, your own security, and to start building God's temple, then part of building God's temple means tending to our spiritual health in a way that can actually demonstrate God's presence within us. If we are the temple, and that means that God dwells within us, and everywhere we go, people should be able to see and experience God's presence in and through us, then we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our souls, our spirit, our spiritual health in a way where as we encounter the world, we are actually carrying God's presence with us. We're not carrying our own presence first and foremost. We are carrying God's presence. Think about what you're doing. Think about Think about how you engage the world. Think about how you behave in the world. Would anyone actually recognize God's presence in and through looking at our lives? As we go into the world, would anyone say, yeah, man, that, that person is, I, I just, they are so godly. They're so like Jesus. They're so loving. They're so kind. They're so peaceful. They're so forgiving. Uh, man, I, I, I can't believe there's something different about them. Would anyone say that about us? Have, have you spent too much time tending to the selfish, worldly parts of yourself that you've neglected actually building up a beautiful spiritual home for God within yourself? And I do this all the time. So whatever you need to do to tend to your life as if it were the temple of God, the time is now to do it. Whatever we need to do in order to carry God's presence with us more and more and allow that to take a forefront and us and our ambitions, our desires, our vain conceit to go to the background, we need to do those kind of things. We need to change some behaviors. Maybe Maybe it's reading scripture more. Maybe you just need to, I need to bury myself in God's word and God's story so that that can start to be embedded deep within my, the core of who I am and it just comes out. I'm living out scripture wherever I go. Maybe it's a life of prayer. I'm just, I need to be in constant communion with God so that I am tending to God's temple that dwells within me. Maybe you are running yourself ragged. You are working yourself to the bone. There is never a time where you are not connected uh, to the outside world. There is never a time where your phone just goes into the closet and it is away. There's never a time where you're not checking your emails for work. There's never a time where you can't be reached. And, and so maybe part of building up God's temple is you need to start practicing Sabbath. Maybe there needs to be a, at least a day of the week where the work is done even if it's not done. Where you can just say, God, this is all you. You got this day. And I am centered on the Sabbath queen. I want, I want you to come in and to be a part of who I am. I, I want you to fill me up. I want you to feed me. And, and I, want, I, I want to help build the temple of God within me 
through, through devoting myself to you. Maybe it's prayer walks. Maybe it's getting out in nature and enjoying God's presence there. Maybe it's something in the early morning. Maybe it's something late at night. Maybe you need to develop some sort of uh, spiritual rhythm during your lunch hour where two or three days a week you go somewhere and you just pray. Come here for Pete's sake. You can come here and do it here in this sanctuary, in this temple. Uh, whatever it is, whatever it takes to build up God's temple within you, do it. Make it happen. The time is now. Think about what you're doing. Examine your life. Ex- uh, take stock of how you are. Uh, and then if it's not right, make it right. Uh, also, We can think about God's temple in a more traditional way. So God's temple can be us. We are God's temple. We carry God's presence with us. But there's ways of thinking about God's temple in a more traditional way. And and that, you might say, is the church. That God's temple still is the church. The people that make up the church, we are God's temple. As we, the collective we, the royal we, go out into the world together, uh, uh, connected, unified together. Uh, But also this building. Building even this church, this grouping of people, First Baptist Church of Bozeman, uh, and, and so if God has chosen to dwell in the world in the form of the church, the body of Christ, then our challenge from Haggai this morning is to build up the church, both the universal church and this specific manifestation of the church, First Baptist Church of Bozeman, Montana, in 2018. Uh, this is a beautiful collection of people. I love you all so dearly, and I absolutely am a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better follower of Jesus because you are in my life. But uh, we are also capable of more. We can grow. We can, become, we can become better. We can be a more healthy body of Christ together as well. So think about what you're doing. Take stock of your investment and your involvement here. How are you involved here in this specific body of Christ, First Baptist Church of Bozeman? Think about what you're doing. Some of you simply couldn't do more. Thank you so much for all that you do. You, you literally couldn't do more. You couldn't serve more. You couldn't lead more. You couldn't give more. And I am so appreciative uh, of some of you here in our church. You, you know who you are. And, and I, I love that so much. But some of us could give more. Some of us could give more. We could pour in more. So, some of you could take the next step here. You could join a group. You could volunteer to lead or to serve. You could show up and be involved in, in some of the extracurricular non-Sunday morning things that we do uh, here as a part of our church. Frankly, some of you, myself included, probably my family included, could probably give more too. And I mean money. Uh, I think Maybe God is calling us to build up this church uh, through giving even more of ourselves financially. Haggai is inviting us to get back to having our priorities straight. And I think we can, we can just get a little off kilter at times, and it becomes about me and, and building up my castle, my kingdom, instead of building up God's temple and his kingdom. And that might mean a deeper investment in building up God's temple here at First Baptist Church Bozeman, a commitment to seeing God's kingdom break into our world and be made manifest through our church. So think about what you're doing. Think about the ways that you're involved. And maybe there's ways that you can plug in and you can build God's kingdom. You can commit to building God's kingdom uh, here in this place. Uh, 
Haggai uh, goes on to spend the rest of the book uh, inviting the Israelites to actually take this seriously. That's essentially what the rest of the book is. I just, I've said my piece. I've made it abundantly clear that you got to get back to to what God uh, intended for you to do when you came back, and and He's inviting uh, them to take it seriously. Uh, and in in chapter one, verse thirteen, God reminds His people that He will be with them in that process. He will walk with them as they are seeking to rebuild God's kingdom. They won't be on their own in this temple building kingdom embodying enterprise, and neither will we. God will be with us. God is with us, strengthening and encouraging us. We can do this. We can plug in deeper. We can, we can take care of our own spiritual temple even more. We can take, a, take, take care of God's temple here in this place better. And he will be with us in that process. So let's give, our, let's, let's give careful thought to our ways. Let's think about what we're doing. Well, let's take stock of the ways that we are living out our faith, that we are embodying our faith. Uh, have we put ourselves first and God second or third or, or even never? Uh, if there's anything that's keeping us from putting God first, from embodying his kingdom, from building his temple, let's get rid of that. Let's just be done with it. Uh, is it is it possess, certain possessions that you have? That, man, if I could just get rid of those, I wouldn't have to worry about it. Uh, I, I could build God's temple e- even more in this world. M- maybe, it's, may- maybe it's some behaviors. Maybe it's some patterns of living. Maybe it's a job that, man, this job is sucking me dry. Uh, whatever it is that's keeping you from building up God's temple here in this world and here within yourself, let's get rid of that. If there's any steps of faithfulness that we need to take to start building up God's temple in ourselves or in our church, let's actually do it. Let's put our hearts, our minds, our hands, and our wallets into building up God's church, God's kingdom here as it is in heaven. And God Would you be with us through this difficult journey of faithfulness and trust? Let's pray. God, we we are so grateful that you are liberating, that you free us, that you let us go from bondage and sent us back into being partners with you in rebuilding your temple, your kingdom here in this world. Give us the courage to do so. Help us to take stock.